The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry podcast. Today, we're bringing a different approach to the Real Chemistry podcast to you. Instead of bringing an outside guest or client, we are actually tapping into the brilliant minds of three of my colleagues. Uh, As many of you have heard, and we'll talk more about this during the show, uh, April 25th, Elon Musk bought Twitter. We want to discover what does this mean for you, our clients, our stakeholders, our partners. Um, You have three foremost experts in the healthcare media social space. Uh, We have Chuck Heeman, who's the president of Integrated Activation, Anka Weisberg, who's the senior group director of Integrated Media, and Jurgen Castro, who is the group director of Integrated Media Planning. And during the 30-ish minutes, we touch on what's happened, um, where might it go, uh, what are some of the alternatives, how should clients be thinking about it, and what advice would our three experts give to Mr. Musk uh, and the team if they could do so. So with that, I would say listen in. I think you're about to get some great advice. I know you're about to get some great advice. Um, these are people that have been working in the industry for a long time and know the ins and outs of Twitter. Um, so with that, uh, here you go. All right. Well, welcome, esteemed colleagues. It's not often that we get a chance to do the Real Chemistry podcast with multiple people and people that I've known for a while. And so I'm really looking forward to this today. Chuck, Anka, Jurgen, welcome. Uh, we're really excited to be talking. And we know we had this big event that happened in the world of social media, um, or one could argue media in general, just last week on April 25th. And now that we're a week out, starting to pick up and, and take a look at where things are going, uh, we know we have clients and stakeholders that are interested in this conversation, especially with the three of you experts and I think we were all comparing notes uh, in our pregame, and we realized that all of us were in with Twitter fairly early, uh, mid mid to late 2000s. So we've seen a lot of different changes. But the big news was that there was a guy named Elon Musk, maybe you've heard of him, uh, founder of Tesla and SpaceX, who bought a company called Twitter, maybe you've heard of it, uh, for $44 billion. And given the fact that Mr. Musk has a reputation as an innovator, but also as a disruptor and can be very polarizing, we thought it would be helpful to sit down and during this conversation today, get into some of the reasons why he's so disruptive. Uh, One of the other things we'd like to talk to this group of experts about is uh, what this means for our healthcare clients and the fact that we help a lot of them manage across multiple social media platforms, digital platforms. And, you know, really, what should they be thinking? How can they be looking at the good, the bad, and the the middle on this particular topic? Uh, and, you know, the thing that's the reality is with Twitter in particular, we know, especially over the last two years, it's been a place for bad actors to disseminate misinformation, uh, particularly when it comes to things like COVID and vaccines. So I'm going to start my first question, and I'm going to round Robin, but um, I want this to be a dialogue. So with that, Anka, I want to know what you think this means for the platform. Um, and, you know, let's get a little bit of your expertise. 
Thanks, Aaron. I think it's a an interesting thing to kind of try to grapple with, right, and figure out what's really going to happen. I think in many ways it is a bit too early to call definitively which direction this could go. Um, but you nicely put it, right? Elon Musk is somebody highly polarizing. And I think what happens with the platform is going to be highly polarizing whichever way it ends up going. I could either see this being a highly innovative infusion into what happens with Twitter and how it's being used by our healthcare clients as well as the broader industry at large, uh, I could also see him take it. <laughs> you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, um, there's a lot of things that people have already not liked about Twitter in the last several years. Brands have already been moving off of it. It's already more difficult to manage than many other platforms that we deal with. Um, so him creating this sort of town square environment, I think, could um, make a lot of companies shy away. Um, so I guess the you know, short answer is a bit too early to call, um, but I think whatever it is, it is going to be highly polarizing. So one thing I realized as you were so eloquently answering is that um, it would be helpful to give some of the folks listening in context. I know I give your titles up front in the pre-introduction, uh, but all of you have slightly different roles in the world of media and activation and planning. Um, so Anka, maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about you know, what you do day-to-day -day working in this space? Yeah, um, I work with, you know, large and small clients in the healthcare space to really set um, what their paid media strategy and plans look like, but then also tying that back to organic earned, uh, integrating with broader communications and marketing teams um, on our side of the uh, side of things to really figure out, you know, how can we tell stories for those companies, for those brands, put them in front of the right audiences, amplify it through paid where necessary and appropriate um, to ensure that we're you know, driving business impact in the long term. And you spent a lot of time in the social media space, and I think you've been doing it for 10 or 12 years. Uh, you're one of the foremost experts in the healthcare social media space. And so you know, it might be good for people to better understand your perspective since you have seen a lot of changes that a lot of other people haven't. Yeah, it's been the, the better part of almost 10 years of real chemistry and over a decade, 12 years within the social media space at large. Awesome. Uh, Jurgen, we'd love to get you know a little bit of your take. Uh, tell us a little bit about your day-to-day, -day, what you do, and then what you think this means for the platform. Uh, yeah, similar to Anka, I've been working in social media for about 13 years now. And um, at, at my current role is similar to hers, advising our clients on how to best activate across a variety of um, digital as well as linear channels, um, working really closely with our earned colleagues to make sure that you know we're looking at all different angles of a campaign, how we can use social and digital as an extension, um, and primarily paid, but still where appropriate, where organic plays a role, where content still really matters in attracting people and we don't have to rely purely on you know targeted algorithms. Um, in terms of uh, Twitter's impact uh, or the impact on Twitter, I think, you know, uh, this can only really be good for the platform, um, positive or negative in terms of the coverage and the tone. Uh, Twitter has kind of just been there for a very long time, coasting under the radar, under the surface. So I think, um, you know, the, the implications here are that at least it's getting some additional notice. Um, it's going to get additional attention and there's going to be change coming to the platform. That change might not work out. The changes might be not be for the better, um, but something needed to happen. Um, and we haven't seen anything significant happen for Twitter. I mean, their last and most meaningful update in its in pretty much its entire history is going from 140 characters to you know 280 
that's the big seismic product change that they made. So something needs to to, to shake things up there. Uh, and they've had a lot of opportunities. I think every single person who has followed Twitter would say, why did they close down Vine? Like that could have been TikTok. Like, you know, they, they've just long been languishing. So whether Elon takes it to the next level or like Anka said, tanks it, it's 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 been on life support for a very long time, in my opinion. It, it, it's something needed to, to jar it out of that. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the Vine piece. I totally forgot about that, and it is something that um, I know. I have a 23, 23 year old daughter, and she was quite sad and disappointed when uh, when Vine went away. Um, I do remember what was it five or six years ago they acquired the uh, live streaming. Like basically, it was like a almost like Zoom, right, on Twitter. What was the name of that company? Do you all remember? What? Periscope. Periscope, which I think showed some promise and then it didn't, right? But um, anyway, that, that's uh, a great take on that from the, the two of you. Thank you. And then Chuck, I guess last but not least, Asad, you have a new role, right? Uh, you just got a promotion, so congrats to you know oversee a, a bigger piece of the pie. Let's talk about what you're responsible for and then let's get your take. Yeah, so... Um... I oversee our paid media, social media, and influencer activation groups, um, which, as you said, Aaron, is sort of a new a new role for me. I made the pivot a few years ago um, toward the media road. I had a career in analytics prior to that, but I had always spent a lot of time um, with media counterparts. I always found it to be the most interesting in terms of how insights translated into into activation plans, and I always thought there was a way for for us to build you know, truly integrated media plans for our clients, which some of our competitors still still really aren't doing. Um, with respect to Musk, it, it's interesting. I, I actually sort of sit in between Anka's perspective and Jurgen's perspective. I, I think whatever he does, it's going to be polarizing for sure. Um, but I also agree with Jurgen in that this was a platform that had been on life support for several years with very limited product innovation um, within the healthcare industry in particular, the, the adoption was low and has been low uh, for, for several years. And I think it's important for us to continue to remember that um, Elon Musk is a brilliant product mind, among other things. Um, he brought you know, electric vehicles forward several, several years, um, SpaceX, uh, he even started a company that was sold to to PayPal that in turn made PayPal um, very, very rich. Um, so this is a person who has a long track record of grabbing something and driving it, driving it forward. And whether or not that happens here, I think it's to be determined. Um, but I actually think it's an exciting thing to see uh, a, a platform that has been you know, literally sucking in oxygen for years, get a an influx of of oxygen to potentially make some much needed changes. So that's a great point. And I know it's never a good idea to make a football or a sports analogy because you sometimes are not as inclusive inclusive as you could be. But I know you're a big sports nut. And where I'm going to go with this is you can say, wow, this is amazing. Like we just had the NFL draft, right? We got this like wide receiver that was a starter on an SEC team. Uh, we got him in the fourth round. So like, isn't that great? People are like, well, shouldn't he have gone closer to the first or second round? You're like, oh yeah, he blew out his ACL. So I feel like what we've yada yada over a little bit, other than Anka and I touched on the polarizing piece, there's a reason why people 
are so nervous about him taking over this. And yes, we know he's a proven innovator, although Anka also pointed out he hasn't innovated in the social media space or the media platform space. But um, Chuck, I'll start with you. Like, Let's talk a little bit about why is it so uh, polarizing and why is it that you know people are so concerned? We're seeing a lot of influencers actually jumping off and leaving to go to other platforms the day that he announced that he was buying the company. Uh, we'd need an entire podcast on the issues probably, Aaron, but I, um, I, I think there's probably a handful, right? I, I think a lot of people struggle with the notion of a billionaire like Elon Musk owning a platform with the sort of scale that, that Twitter has. Um, I think people are concerned about his sort of free speech absolutism, which I would argue is not actually absolutism, but um, that is the way that he, he portrays it. Um, I'd also say there, there is a little bit of influencers jumping ship because this is an opportunistic moment to do so, and it has nothing to do with Elon Musk. It was a decision that they were probably waffling with for a while. And the fact that Elon Musk came to the platform or is coming to the platform, and it's not somebody that they agree with, gives them a perfect opportunity to, to pull the shoot, as it were. Um, I'm, there are some, there's a bunch of other issues, but I, in my head, those are the, the sort of core ones. Yeah. Well, and we know that there's this radical belief in free speech, which I think is the other thing that people are quite concerned about because um, without getting political at all, we know there was this thing called an insurrection or at the very least a storming of the Capitol uh, a year ago. And we know that that ended up with the, the uh, banning of a number of political figures as among others. And I think a lot of people are concerned about him letting people back in. And Jurgen, I know one of the things you brought up is he, uh, Elon Musk, I was listening to the Daily Ted this morning, and he did say part of why he's so uh, such a believer is he's a big believer in the truth, and he does have faith in sort of local government to make the laws, and essentially Twitter would support those laws. You pointed out a good one, which is there are a couple of pretty big countries that have banned Twitter. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about that, Jurgen, and, you know, what does that mean? And if he's really sort of abiding by that, like, can he have it both ways? Yeah, I think one of the biggest issues that Twitter has had for, for a very long time is its lack of relative scale compared to a Facebook or I believe even Snapchat has more users than Twitter now. TikTok, it hasn't surpassed the will very quickly. Um, Instagram certainly has. So what do you do when where Twitter is a known quantity, it seems to have basically hit a ceiling? How do you drive rapid growth to, to the tune of, you know, you just bought a company that has about less than $2 billion in revenue a year, $40 billion. I imagine a huge priority is fast revenue growth. Well, you go to where Twitter isn't, where it isn't available, where it hasn't been, where there might be some significant initial demand to drive at least the kinds of headlines that drive the market and drive up the share price. So Twitter in China, much like Apple in China, would be a really, really huge deal. It would be the only player, um, basically, outside of Chinese-owned services. Um, the, the Facebook isn't there. Uh, LinkedIn isn't there. Um so it would be a huge, huge development. And he did say he would abide by local laws. Um, that seemed to be a kind of little throwaway line meant to say, you know, if somebody is posting about overthrowing the government, sure, we'll take a look at it and do something about it. But I think it might have actually been more of a signal to the market that 
you know, he's willing to play ball with more authoritarian governments that have a different notion of what protected speech is or isn't. And I think that also goes for here, too. I think uh, it's a very emotional issue and a very sensitive and delicate one. What is protected versus what is offensive, but permissible? And what the role of a Twitter is in moderating that very, very, very gray area that government largely leaves up to common courtesy of what is permissible on a platform. I don't think he's prepared to take that on at all. And I think, to be honest, I think a lot of his, the perception of absolutism, I think is actually more of like a, um, I don't want to deal with it. I'm not going to touch it. So let it be a free for all. You all deal with it. Block people who bother you, you know, have at it. I think that personally, I think that's probably his more accurate description of his worldview. Yeah, which could be problematic for sure. And one of the things that I do want to bring this, you know, sort of back to is a lot of people are talking about this, especially a lot of people in the media. We work in healthcare and Twitter already had some fundamental issues, which I touched on up front. Um, we, we will talk a little bit about how it could evolve, but I do want to dig into like given some of the healthcare specific nuances that we deal with every day. You know, how do you think, like, we know some of the proposed changes he's thrown out there are, I want to create an edit button. I want sort of radical transparency with like, I'm going to open up the API to everybody. I'm going to actually put the code out there. Um, I'm going to get rid of the bots. So this could be good. It might be bad, but vis-a-vis our healthcare brands, um, you know, how do you see this going? And Anka, I'll start with you again, because I know you've been in the space for a long time and probably have given this some thought, even though this is a relatively new uh, announcement. Yeah, and I think even just following on what you and Jurgen just talked about previously, right? I think the the components of managing expectations from the consumer versus local laws versus you know layering on data privacy regulations. Um, it makes me wonder if Musk maybe bit off he can chew in terms of really considering the intricacies of the environment he has to manage. Um, And then on top of that, what you just mentioned, right, this like code level transparency that he's hoping to create, opening up the algorithm, posting it publicly for people to see. um, I think that also creates an issue of, you know, do we need to anticipate now people using the algorithm to their advantage to actually, yes, free speech, publish free speech on the platform, but actually use it to their advantage to where they can spread misinformation or radical ideas even more easily than they were able to previously because he's creating an environment where, you know, free speech at all costs, essentially, um, which is counterintuitive, I think, to where the market and consumers have been heading at large. You know, they've been more focused on creating more closed forums, um, room for data privacy management, uh, and so forth. Um, from a healthcare perspective in particular, you know, I think that opens up a lot of risk for companies and brands on the platform. Um, in terms of the types of users they might encounter and how they would need to counteract that from a risk management and mitigation perspective. Um, But again, I also think like, does Musk even realize what he all needs to kind of manage to get to that type of town square feel in place that he's looking to get? Um, I would question if we even get there in the foreseeable future. Um, So I think, you know, companies shouldn't really be considering pulling off the platform at the moment. But I do think, you know, thinking through kind of future planning, um, you definitely want to make sure we kind of keep a pulse with what's happening in the industry to make decisions for our clients on how much should we be investing in the platform in the short and long term. 
Well, it's good advice. And I know in the article, Chuck, you were quoted in that was done by MM&M. One of the things that I think it wasn't you, but I could see you making this recommendation is doing some social listening and seeing what your, you know, the key opinion leaders, doctors, patients, advocates are saying, you know, who's really leaving, who's, you know, um, maybe sort of peacocking a little bit. Because I think I've seen a lot of that. Some of our friends that we all know have made these big public dramatic <clears throat> departures, right? Um, Chuck, in that same article, you did talk about being really excited about what this could sort of have in store for it. Um, Jurgen already reminded us of the Vine piece, right? Anything that you would see as a benefit to some of our healthcare clients that I know we're speculating, we promise we wouldn't do too much speculation because again, we're one week in, but as you know, a group that's lived in this space for a while and knowing sort of where the gaps are and aren't, um, you know, what could you envision that would be helpful to our healthcare clients that uh, Elon and team might put into place? You know, one of the things, um, Aaron, as you were teeing up that question, I was thinking about, I think we've all read and listened to a lot of coverage on this subject. And I was trying to think about how many of those articles or podcasts I've listened to where there's been an active discussion about what the heck the goals are of Elon Musk buying Twitter actually is. Um, and I, the, the closest thing I think that we know is the sort of return to the sort of town square um, mentality. And I think if that is successful, one thing we know that healthcare companies really struggle with is generating goodwill and engagement, even in the wake of the pandemic, as like once in a generation, scientific innovation came, came to light, came to market they still had a reputation challenge. And if there is a true sort of town square feel to the platform, there could be an opportunity. I understand it's it's a little bit sort of uh, uh, potentially risky, but there could be an opportunity to create real engagement um, with people that they, they actually care to create real engagement with. Um, but we're a far, far way away from that. And I think there's a couple of things that I think we should be on the lookout for. One of them is the spam bot problem that the platform has. It's just enormously large. Um, and he's already sort of spoken publicly about um, what he might uh, what he might do there. Um, you know, the edit button is one, but I think the, the other one that I spoke about in that MM&M story was uh, content moderation. Um, I don't believe for a minute that we're going to live in a sort of free-for-all world. I think that would be totally counterproductive for, for Twitter or really any platform for that matter. But if there were the opportunity to introduce third-party content moderation tech or to the comments that Jurgen and um, Anka have made, brand safety tech, um, that would be a step in uh, a step in the right direction. But I... I think almost everything is on got to be on the table, right? Like I don't think anything is off the table because I, I it's hard to know what the goals are um in him buying the platform in the first place. Yeah. Well, and and again, I mean, you know, this is a guy that did sort of the unthinkable if you think about Tesla and the fact that not only did he create this scalable electric car that's kind of the default, you know, when you think of electric car it's that one could argue that, you know, he also revolutionized the whole solar power and uh, rechargeable battery industry, right, which may have a more profound impact on the environment long term. And then the ability to launch a rocket that can actually land and be reused. Um, it opens up possibilities that are much greater than 
maybe the five or 10% increments that we mortals think about. And I didn't realize this. I, I guess I wasn't shocked, but um, during that TED interview, he did uh, joke about the fact that he was the first person with Asperger's to at least um, publicly admit on Saturday Night Live that he had Asperger's. And they talked a little bit about his childhood and like how he loved to he'd stay up all night writing code. He's like, I was a weirdo and I get picked on. I would get beat up. Right. So he, he thinks at a different level than any of us do. And I know while he hasn't been super clear about where does Twitter go, you would have to think you put down a $44 billion bet on something that's worth $2 billion theoretically. Um, there's got to be something, some there, there. And so I will loop back around to that in a sec because I would love to get all of your, you know, what's your advice to, to him specifically when it comes to healthcare. So one of the things we brought up in our pre-discussion was we've had this spate of billionaires that are now buying these media uh, properties or running social media platforms, right? We have Zuckerberg with Meta um, slash Facebook, Instagram. We have Bezos who bought the Washington Post. We now have Elon who bought Twitter. Uh, I guess, first of all, does this scare you all? And second of all, you know, should we start thinking about looking at some of the alternatives like Mastodon or Counter Social or Substack to, you know, push people over there and maybe start sharing content or sharing ideas in those places? So, Jurgen, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a great opportunity. There's a, I, I would say that if there's some kind of mass exodus from Twitter, there's no shortage of places for people to go. Um, definitely, I, I think for brands, the pickings are slimmer for sure especially from a regulated perspective, you know, we're, we're not necessarily going to have as great of a two-way communication opportunity on TikTok or, or Instagram, even if you can get those things approved, um, as you can have with, with Twitter, where you can have a bit more of a conversation without it feeling like, a, a, you know, a, a message board, basically. You know, I think if not Twitter, your next best options are Facebook, which is not doing great, the core app. I mean, um, not meta more broadly, or LinkedIn, which is not nearly as global in reach as Twitter, you know, not not as inclusive as Twitter can be in that sense. So I think there is a, I think there is a significant cause for concern from a brand perspective. If Twitter plays a major role in your comms or marketing ecosystem, I think now is the time to be reevaluating that role. Uh, I think it's a great time to look at one, are we really getting uh, the ROI out of this? that we would expect. And two, um, if not, where do we need to adjust? Not to necessarily abandon the platform, but maybe pull back a bit, reallocate resources somewhere else perhaps. But then also, what if we do need to, like, what would make us exit? What What is the thing that would have to happen for us to say, okay, let's go? And I think, uh, you know, social listening, monitoring the public mood, those are all important things. Definitely do that. But oftentimes I, I feel like we don't do a good enough job setting our own boundary. What is our red line? What is our thing that we're not going to allow? Um, you know, we 10 years ago, I had told you that, um, you know, people were going to use a, a social platform to uh, steal personal data, use that personal data to then um, create uh, content that would influence the mood, influence how people vote, influence how people treat each other, um, that that company would then also be used as a staging ground for a coup in uh, the lar one of the largest and oldest democracies in the world, uh, you would probably think that that platform would be dead in the water. And yet the only thing that seems to have, you know, really impacted Meta's stock price is a slightly declining user base. 
So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that brands will tolerate and that people will tolerate when you have a very useful tool at your disposal. But, you know, I, there has to be a limit. You have to draw a red line. Otherwise, you're always going to be reacting. And I think people will call that out when you're just kind of reacting to a public mood versus really leading or, um, you know, putting together a coherent strategy on, on how you choose to show up in these channels. And I think more people are going to clamor for that. But Disney, what's happening to Disney, certainly, I think, is evidence of positive or negative. You know, people look at companies and they expect them to take a stand. Well, I think, yeah, it's a it's an important point because over the last, I'll argue even the past 16 years, um, we've had a lack of sort of government, right? Not we've the government's been there, but in the United States, p- governing bodies that have been able to collaborate. And so people have started to look to companies during Black Lives Matter, during the pandemic. And I think, you know, over time, realizing that someone like a Disney probably has a lot more sway than even our current Congress does, right? Anka, I do want to come back to you because I think you look like you wanted to chime in and add something to the conversation. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think, you know, something Jurgen was saying around um, the exodus from the platform, if we're going to continue to see that or not, sparked something. I mean, I think we tend to veer in extremes, right, or think in extremes oftentimes when these types of things happen. But I think in many ways, this also really just reinforces what we've, I think, been chatting about with our clients for so many years, which is channel diversification, right? It's you no longer only have the top three social platforms where people engage. You no longer have just your out of home and your print media. You have so many channels at your disposal for talking to your audiences, whether that is from an earned and organic or from a paid perspective. And it is going to continue to split up where those audiences that we're trying to reach live. Um, you know, I think we're not, not ever going to get back to a place where you only have Twitter, Facebook, and maybe LinkedIn at your disposal, um, or television and radio. I think it's just going to continue to diversify. And uh, if you haven't started diversifying your channel mix, you know, from a corporate or from a brand perspective, now is as good a time as any. Um, And I don't think Twitter is necessarily going to become irrelevant for companies and brands, neither in the healthcare space nor within other industries. Um, But I think it might just we might use the platform differently, right? To Chuck's comment earlier, is it just going to be more of that conversational environment again, where brands really have to lean into agility and being able to be responding to what's happening in the marketplace rather than just pushing their own messages? Um, again, you know, I feel like we keep saying this, it's a bit too early to call what this is actually going to look like, but I think diversifying the channels we use and how we engage with audiences from a brand and corporate perspective um, now is as good a time as I need to get started. Well, I like what I'm hearing. And then, um, Chuck, I'm going to ask you one more question. And then I have a final sort of parting thought from the group I'd like to get. So it's stay put for now. And like, let's give this some time to see there could be room for optimism. I like that idea of defining boundaries, Jurgen. I like the idea of rethinking like this. If anything, let's take this moment to take a step back and rethink our strategy and channel mix. And then Chuck, I think, you know, we have a greater ability than ever not only us, but the industry to target, right? Which is related to what both Jurgen and Anka are saying. Um, we brought companies called Swoop and IPM into the fold a couple of years back. They give us an amazing ability, you know, both through social as well as um, digital and streaming to target. Like, what role does that have in, like, where do you see that playing a role with Twitter in particular in whatever instance it moves forward with? I mean, I that, Aaron, is why 
uh, I'm paying particularly close attention to what he does or doesn't do with the spam bot problem. Um, I think nobody is going to be excited about uh, targeting people who aren't actually people um, and delivering impressions to, to nobody. Um, I think that, I mean, he's thrown a lot of things into the ether that could be potential platform modifications. I think for, for brands, I, there's the brand safety angle for sure. There's the edit button, there's content moderation. Purely from a paid perspective, the question around spam bots is the one that is the biggest looming issue. And by the way, it's not just Twitter that has the issue, but it is Twitter seems to have it in large, large numbers. And so if he does something to improve there, um, I know we're going to come around to some of our final thoughts, but like it doesn't have to be massive change. If there's just a little bit of change there makes it a little bit more um, effective and efficient to target your audiences, I think people would be very receptive to, to the changes he's, he's thinking about making. Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I guess to that end, we will wrap up, um, you know, let's envision that Elon's listening to this, or at least his team is listening to this. And each one of you could give him one piece of advice that you knew he would hear and ideally would help make an impact, whether that's a feature or an approach or wherever it is. Obviously, I would appreciate if we can lean into the health angle, but I won't tie you to that because I know I made this question up sort of midway through and Chuck, I'll start with you and work sort of around, but uh, what's, what's your thought there? Yeah, I, um, I would say my biggest piece of advice is focus on incrementality of platform updates, um, which I know sounds totally counterintuitive with somebody like Elon Musk, but um, I, for one, Anka and Jurgen have both pointed this out. The changes that we're talking about that need to be made for Twitter are not a light switch. They're not gonna happen once the deal closes. They're going to take weeks and months if they're ever even on the, the, the product roadmap. You'd also run the risk of really jarring the users who are already there and are already wondering whether or not they, they should, um, uh, should be there, especially healthcare um, marketers and communicators who tend to be a little skittish about, um, about, the, about the platform anyway. Um, I incrementality, I think, is a, is a good place to be. If you think about sort of the way Apple has approached innovation with the iPhone and the iPad, um, there was one colossal innovation, and now there's been sort of incremental growth from there. Um, I, that's where I would focus, make a sort of big change, and then focus on how you sort of tweak and optimize from there. That's a good one. Um, Anka, what's yours? Yeah, mine might be um, a little bit... Uh, less idealistic, I guess, than Chuck's, but, uh, and a more, a little bit more simplistic, I guess, too. But, uh, you know, I'd say going back to your sports analogy from earlier, Aaron, um, a single player doesn't make a team. So make sure that even though he's a visionary and I'm sure he has his, you know, ways in which he sees the platform headed, pull in others and rely on others to help guide you in this situation. Um, again, I think there's so many different aspects of play here between data privacy, between lack of trust in social platforms, between revenue growth struggles that Twitter has faced over the last several years. Um, and I think there's no, you know, like Chuck said, light switch that fixes all those problems. I think he needs to address a lot of different issues to be able to move the platform in the right direction. And only a team of people can accomplish that, not a single person. Well, that's 
incredibly smart, I think, in anything people do, but especially given this unique circumstance. And I will say two things I heard in his interview earlier today on the uh, TED Daily, um, one of which was he wants to bring as many of the existing 2,000 shareholders that he's legally allowed to bring over the transom with him. So hopefully that does translate into, I want some of these collaborators with me. And I like the idea that early days, I think when we all remember, like Twitter was very open from an API perspective. There was a whole ecosystem that got built around it. And then they really slammed the door, right? And pulled in the ones they wanted and got rid of the rest. And I do feel like hopefully if that is a direction he goes, that does allow for a lot of um, outside and inside collaboration. So let's hope he listens to that one. Jargon, you want to close this out? My, my biggest piece of advice would be um, read Lord of the Flies and kind of keep it with you and read it over and over and over again. I think the challenges that he's tackled have uh, proven that he's a, a, a great visionary and a brilliant engineer, but engineering problems aren't, uh, or engineering solutions aren't always the right solution when it comes to people problems. And, um, you know, whatever his philosophies on free speech or whatever, people are going to people. And if that's not something he wants to deal with is becoming basically, you know, Aaron, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and being the moderator in chief of, you know, a communications platform, then to Anka's point, he needs to put people in place who are able to do that and able to do it in a way that does fit with his vision and what he wants to do in terms of enabling free speech around the world, but without creating a cesspool that nobody wants to wait in, which is kind of where Twitter has been trending. So um, that, that would be my piece of advice for him is, you know, uh, deal with the people, uh, not just the engineering problem. Well, I'll say congratulations. 185 episodes in, you're the first one to invoke one of the greatest books written of all time, uh, Lord of the Flies. So I appreciate that, Jurgen. And normally as part of the podcast, I do ask for your deserted island uh, album choice, which I'm not going to do here because we're keeping this all business today. But I appreciate you doing that. Uh, and with that, I will sort of wrap this up. This is Aaron Strout, the CMO of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry podcast, joined by Chuck Heeman, Anka Weisberg, and Jurgen Castro. Thank you all so much. And hopefully this is of value to our clients listening in, our partners, and a uh, lot more coming on this space. We'll keep you updated because we know this is going to have a, hopefully a pretty impactful um, day-to-day on all of what we do in the world of social media, even though, as Anka implored us, Make sure you're thinking about your overall mix. So thank you all. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry Podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.